Welcome to Saying the Quiet Part Out Loud, a podcast from LiveRamp that uncovers what's unsaid about technology, data, and business and explores how they intersect. I'm your host, Daniela Harkins, SVP of Commercial Strategy at LiveRamp. Last year was challenging to say the least. We saw consumer behavior change on a dime and many companies struggle to keep up. We also saw companies that were able to shift gears overnight, keep up with demand and understand customers' needs. Danone and L'Oreal are global CPG leaders that harness the opportunity well ahead of the pandemic to build the customer intelligence to move fast and meet people in the moment. A data strategy that enables companies to connect, collaborate with, and use data to build consumer trust and nurture stronger, longer-lasting relationships has become a significant business trend that will only continue to separate the brands that lead and endure from those that don't. At Ramp Up Worldwide, we were honored to have Domatil Duat, Chief Digital Officer of Danone, and Ashmira Dubey, Chief Media Officer at L'Oreal and Chief Digital Officer of the Consumer Products Division, share their perspective on data strategy, trends that have been accelerated by the pandemic, and how relationships with consumers have changed. Here's LiveRamp's president, Warren Jensen, in a conversation with Domatil and Ashmira. I have to start this panel off by just telling everyone how excited I am. I just can't think of two better leaders or a better panel for, for Ramp Up this year. Let me just introduce a, a couple of folks. First of all, Domitil Dwight. Domitil is the Chief Digital Officer of Danone. It's incredible, but Domitil has worked on four continents during her career. She has been the Chief Digital Officer of Danone since 2015. Prior to that, she was with Fred and Farid in both Shanghai and in Paris, and has worked at both Cisco and at Ubisoft. Next, Ashmita Dubey. She's the Chief Media Officer at L'Oreal and Chief Digital Officer of the Consumer Products Division. She's too, is based in Paris. She's been at L'Oreal since 2013. What's so incredible, again, is the diversity of experience that these two global leaders bring to our panel today. Not only are they giants in their worlds of consumer packaged goods and beauty, but if you use Ashmita as the example, she's worked in China, India, the Middle East, and of course, Europe. I'd like to start off our panel today and maybe just talk a little bit about the pandemic. When did you start to see the magnitude of the global crisis? So it, it feels like ages ago, to, to be honest with you, it's, it feels like an, another lifetime, but... Um, it was basically in February, early February, because the sign in China were January. So for people in digital and e-commerce uh, in the company, we could see the sign uh, after the human resources, obviously, but we were feeling the sign of uh, stockpiling, which has been for us the first business outcome. You know, we are in the food and beverage industry. There was this phenomenon which was extremely alien to any kind of past and history, which was people stockpiling, parents stockpiling kids' food, which is something you have no benchmark. And it started with, with China. And I'm not qualified to, to speak about anything human-related and obviously uh, the fact that we were, for and foremost, uh, concerned with Danoners' health. But on my field, 
So stockpiling is a phenomenon that widespread after that in the six lax months everywhere on the food and beverage industry, which is something very unsettling because it shows the anxiety of the world in this pandemic. When you stockpiling food, it's war. Nobody was prepared to, to this level and it's creating a lot of stress in the food system and the food chain. Aswede? Like Domitil said, we were very closely watching China. Overall, the market was still okay in China for us. As the world started getting into confinement, we started taking more decisive actions. Things on, okay, what should we do with the reallocation of our marketing fuels? Should we start focusing everything on lower funnel? All that came very quickly and in a very disciplined manner. You know, it's pretty interesting When I think about the entire COVID crisis, and we're now obviously well, well into it, I describe it as a black swan event. It's just something that has kind of changed everything. Domitil and I were having a chat, I guess, here a, a few weeks ago about how earlier in the year, when, at least for me, when I was talking about COVID, I said, well, I'll see you in Paris in late May. And obviously, every single day, became something new. And, you know, what I thought was true actually was completely wrong. Second thing that I think is pretty interesting being a Black Swan event is Domitil said something that I would like you both to chat about, which is what we thought would happen over two years is actually happening now in two months. Just this rapid acceleration. So two-part question, and maybe Ashmita, if I can start with you and, and Domitil, if you'll follow up. Do you agree with that? Are you seeing things just happen faster? Absolutely, we agree. So there are trends that are accelerated by COVID, and there are some new trends, you know, which are generated by COVID. So digital and e-commerce and everything inside is trends. Those are accelerated by COVID. And our management and leadership, you know, at L'Oreal, we say that on the consumer side, they're becoming more connected. They are seeking even more community. Uh, they are having more conversations than they would have had before. Beauty conversations as well. They are doing more coaching. Uh, they are taking up more challenges. Talk about TikTok. They are doing more commerce and definitely more e-commerce. So all these uh, six C's of consumers, in a way, is accelerating. We very much see that. We, we try to work around it. Of course, the consumer uh, behavior is also changing. One simple example is hair coloration at home group because the salons were closed and there was confinement. So women were looking for hair color at home. And using these consumer changes, what we did was our ambassadors, like Eva Longoria, she did like she posted something on social saying, I'm using home hair coloration. Here is my white, you know, hair, the grays. And look, I use this product. And it went on to become like one of the most talked about posts on social mm -hmm. and how we are reinventing communication. I cannot agree more with what Asmita just said. I think the proximity of the brand to the hand user, to, to the consumer, is flabbergasting. It's, it's something that blows you away because we used to say, yes, we want to be in conversation. Yes, there is a, a leapfrog effect with e-commerce and direct to consumers. But that was very theoretical, let's be brutally honest. There were still many layers Those layers have been blown away in three mm -hmm. weeks' time. If you're not able to speak with humility, authenticity, bring the best user experience when, you're, when your product arrived at, at the doorstep, whoever is bringing them, you miss the train. And this is quite brutal. So you need a focus and a concentration to be extremely in proximity 
So when people want to cool and indulgence breakfast or indulgence dinner with their kids, Danone needs to be there in the conversation. We need to be able to provide recipes, which was always, yes, we wanted to be that, that close, but we were allowed to be. And we were allowed to be and we needed to be. And we, were, we needed to be also in the delivery service and we needed to be in e-com on time, on quality, with the capacity to answer the phone when something was going wrong. So I would not say thanks God for this period because absolutely not. But the usage and the capacity of a company to move fast, I'm very impressed. And I'm very impressed by many CPGs who managed to do so because we were at stress on the supply chain. We don't speak enough about the supply chain, but the supply chain was at a level of stress unprecedented and not breaking the supply chain was the obsession because you want to deliver food. This is the obsession. This is a survival mode. So even if, yes, we were able to speak with consumers, the back-end supply chain and logistics was the most important topic and needs to remain the main focus. If I had to redo my career, I will go in logistic and supply chain. I think this is, right. this is a fantastic playground right now to be on time and on quality for your consumers. Yeah, you know, a fascinating story from, from my past. In the early days of Amazon, Amazon, of course, was building out its fulfillment centers. So this, in effect, its supply chain. And the analyst just would give the company all kinds of grief constantly about having warehouses and why aren't you simply digital? Well, in effect, back then, just like now, the sophistication of your supply chain was all about the consumer. And that's what, what right. made it for, for great customer experiences. John Mateo, can I just like drill down like one second, you know, for both of you, a little bit on just this acceleration and your relationship with the consumer. And as two large companies, CPG, it's always said, well, wait a minute, you really don't have a big direct relationship with the consumer. How has that changed in the last six months? And first, Domitil to you and Ashmita then to you. So I'm going to tell a story because it's, it's not a funny one, but I think it's very, it talked me so much. It, it was a learning curve. In a minute, most of the pure players decided not to deliver water because they had so much pressure on command. People were ordering so much food online that pure player of this world decided that bottle of water, it was too much, too much handling, etc. So a lot of the traffic, an immense level of traffic, went to our D2C with what? for water delivery without us being a rocking star in trafficking at that specific moment. We had the possibility of all the employees of Danone go and deliver water, you know, in Indonesia, in Mexico, in China, sometimes you don't have drinkable water. So having a company being able to go and deliver at your doorstep it requires a very high level of digital savviness. But that was the game changer for me because I was like, we've always been shy about direct to consumers because they are bigger player, better player in, in the industry. But we do have that. And it's a jewel because we are able in times of crisis, but also in times of expansion, to be able to be there for consumers. So direct to consumers is very important because this is a moment where you care. You care really. You care that your supply chain arrive on time. You care that the bottles are recyclable. You care that you get back the, the bottle of plastic and they go back in the system. You are about the user experience as it used to be in, in, in the video game industry where I'm coming from. You care so much from the beginning till the end. So that was, well, that was the biggest game changer for me. 
Ashmita, what about you? Now, I'm thinking about the question, if we look at Total L'Oreal, right, and then there's a CPG view. As a beauty company in L'Oreal, we operate with different models. So for luxury products, uh, we are very much into the DTC. There is a lot of known consumers. It works extremely well. And of course, all that accelerated a lot. Even for our active uh, cosmetic division, which is dermatologist and sensitive skin, so brands like La Roche-Posay, CeraVe, and the consumers were so engaged because it was about skincare and sensitive skin. For professional products division, which is about hairstylists and salon owners, the level of proximity we have with our customers and consumers there which is very different from CPG. But for our consumer products division, it's true that it's more about mass. What I would say here is that uh, we felt in a lot of ways that mass was back. Mass retailers were back. Uh, mass products were back. There was a need for hair care and skin care, etc. And even from point of view of consumers and gratitude, I mean, there were the of course there were the healthcare workers whom everybody was saying thank you to. But even to the front-end workers at retail, there was so much thankfulness. Even to e-commerce players who were delivering products to us, there was so much thankfulness. And the consumers were so thankful to them. So, yes, there is a direct, but the ecosystem itself, uh, proved, you know, it, it was proven that it is needed and it is interdependent. So, Ashmita, looking back, and again, this is a question that I'd, I'd ask you both to respond to. Go back to, I don't know whether it's March, April kind of time frame. I'm sure that L'Oreal, like folks at LiveRamp or Danone or, you know, any company probably participating today, big or small, everybody was in scramble mode. You were replanning like crazy, you know, trying to figure things out. What's one thing you think you got right and one thing you think you got wrong? No, I think what we got right, in a way, it's more strategic and long term, you know, because what is true is that this whole idea of the digital acceleration, being ahead of the curve, being ready, being ready in terms of being ready with the resources, with upskilled people, with the focus on e-commerce, with the infrastructure, with services. We were ready with services. For example, we were ready with the virtual makeup try-ons. We have the company Modiface, which we have bought on augmented reality. We were ready with the skin diagnosis and uh, we were ready with hair color try-ons that this is your color and these are the tutorials related to it. So because we were ready with all of those services and digital access to the consumer, when a situation like this came, we of course then could use it and maximize that whole digital experience and services for millions of our consumers. That definitely went right. And that even I feel post-COVID, it's going to take that acceleration and continue with it. So our focus on digital and services and consumer experience is really something that we have done right and has paid off. Domitil? So you leave me with what we did wrong, right? <laughs> I think one thing, we did write many things because we managed to have all our product on time and on quality. So first, and I thank every Dan owners every day so that we could have that online. But something which is extremely a good learning exercise and we did so many things wrong because it's new and we need to, to learn from that is the fact that we were following too many KPI. And we were in a world before where we had access to so many KPI that maybe was becoming a jargon, you know. Do you look at your dwell time and do you look at your advocacy rate and your CPS and blah, blah, blah. And we fell in love with those KPI. And suddenly 
you but and you should look at three. You should look at three, and three is largely enough to grow. And let's stop the bullshit, you know, let's stop the jargon. And I think at the beginning, I fell also in love with those KPI, and I was the one advocating them, you know, internally. And suddenly, we were back to sanity. There are three mm -hmm. KPIs that matter that everyone in the company can follow through, and we stop the bullshit. So that's something we did wrong, but I'm trying, we're trying with my team to do right now. So tell us what was one of those KPIs when you cut right through it. One which is extremely important is the conversion rate, the online to offline conversion rate. And you have this KPI. It's accessible. So mm. whatever you do, if you don't have online to offline data and you don't know where is your pre-olds, look for it because you're going to manage to find those data. Those data are available. And that's enough, you know. That's enough. It can make a whole decision-making process with just, just this figure. End of yes. the digital bullshit, I think. That's perfect. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> so I'm going to jump right into digital jargon and talk a little bit about this word digital transformation. And I dare say that if we were to line up, take the five, pick any 500 companies of, you know, small, large, whatever, and look at a three-year plan for each of those companies, the words digital transformation probably show up in 90% of all those companies. And I'm curious, and I'll start with Danone and then jump to L'Oreal. What does this term mean to you? And what does it mean to your company? Personally, I've been raised in the video game industry where this word didn't mean anything because it was digital from day one. I think for CPG and for Danone, it's really much a mindset type of approach. And, and I like mm. it because it's a mindset and it's not like a dogma. It's a mindset to bring as much as we can at scale, and I'm repeating because it's so important, at scale, the best mm. of the outside in. I'm speaking about bringing the best of breed of what the technology is allowing us to do with the respect of consumer's data in those companies and bring it at scale, meaning that it's accessible and the business is faster, smarter, more data-driven because you do that. And not all the startups, not all the new technology are suitable for us. So you need to be very careful as a CDO, and I think L'Oréal for that is also a very good benchmark. Not everything is suitable. You need to make sure that what you bring in is sustainable and change usage. So that's what mm -hmm. I call transformation or when I'm requested to define it. So it's very data-driven, obviously, but it's really making sure that you are at scale because we see so many prototypes which have no sense at all except the yeah. fact of showing up. So, so it's really the matter of at scale. Then you cannot ignore the fact that there is a massive disruption in the top line and commercial part of our jobs, you know. It's unprecedented what's going on right now with the data, with the handless cookie. You need to prepare improvisation on this is a very bad idea. So you need people in the front end who are going to make it understandable for the company before this is becoming a disruption. Transformation is okay. Disruption at scale, careful. So you need to have good translator and people who are digesting fast. It's so fascinating. I've shared this a couple of times with folks, but earlier this year, a reporter from the BBC did a big article 
And the gist of the article was all about a subject access request to Amazon, talking about the multitude of ways that Amazon is gathering data on this particular individual, for example, as, as a customer and in his family. There was a, an executive interviewed and a former Amazon executive that was interviewed. And the comment was made, well, Amazon is really a data company. And I kind of want to make this point because I think it's relevant as we talk about strategy you know, in, in a couple of the things. I actually think this former executive had it completely wrong because Amazon is a data company because it's a consumer company. And, right. you know, when you start to think about where we all have to be over the course of, you know, the coming years and decades is you have to know your consumer and that does require data. So, Ashmita, talk to me about digital transformation. What does it mean to you and, and L'Oreal? I think it's such a broad subject, but what we have felt for years is that beauty and digital is a perfect fit. There are so many elements of beauty, which is so digital as a category. So it could mean many things. The first thing is our products and services and the beauty experiences that we bring to our consumers. So it builds more brand love at one point. And the second is this whole subject that you're talking about, data-driven marketing. And digital allows that and allows us to understand our consumers better, talk to them better, talk to them at the right time, etc. And the third bucket is what also Domitil mentioned, the commerce side. But the commerce side of it is also linking and it is becoming offline plus online. Now we have augmented products. Uh, you can you can scan mm. a product packaging and go and find out about the product. So everything is converging in terms of what is digital transformation. Let me switch gears a little bit. And I think building on this theme, obviously, you both have seen it as well as you know most companies, just a, a massive shift immediately and very quickly to e-commerce, given what's gone on in the world. And in that shift some really big players have just become even bigger. Amazon's a great example and that much more important. And, you know, it could be Alibaba, it could be others, but I use Amazon as the example. And I'm going to go back to this whole notion of the customer journey, addressability, and a brand being competitive when you're working with, you know, some of the data giants like Amazon. So an unmistakable trend toward addressability, which I'm going to define as a one-to-one -one relationship with your consumer and accountability and advertising. I'll start, Ashmita, with you. Let's say, what's your global approach and how, how are you thinking about it? And then we'll come back to you, Domatil. I would start with what I was saying before. I think first, in general, the world is getting digital and online, but at the same time, there is online plus offline that is coming closer together and working very well together. That's the omni world that we are all going to live in. Then anything we do in terms of data and addressability has to be online plus offline. While we look at Amazon now, if we look at the China ecosystem, the China ecosystem is becoming very, very offline plus online, being extremely digital at the same time in nature. Now, if that is the context, then the other thing is that all media, all touch points, everything is becoming digital and addressable if done in the right way. Like television has become extremely addressable with the OTT video and video on demand has really skyrocketed in all this time. So what we were calling you traditional is moving and, you know, becoming addressable because technology allows it, automation allows it, and then 
everything is becoming digital anyway. There is discussion on digital out, out of home where you can actually target contextually about you know the people that you're talking to. I would say that there is more digitalization. There is going to be more data-driven marketing. Maybe it's changing because addressability is changing with privacy and all. But it will be there more and more. All medium will become some form of addressable in very near future. I totally agree with that. But the point here is to say, from a consumer standpoint, you feel like, come on, I was in your website two minutes ago. I am now in this shop. I'm buying your product. I expect you to acknowledge at one point without being intrusive that I've been your consumer, you know? So the level of expectation, but privacy with expectations of being recognized. This is why our job is so fascinating and we are far from being obsolete because we need to match a high level of expectation to be recognized and personalized in the service we get. But we want this to be at a very high level of privacy. And I recognize that as a consumer. I recognize that for all Danone consumers. I respect that. But the level we need to reach in online to offline, seamless approach of of services is unprecedented. It's unprecedented. So framing success is extremely important not to disappoint. And in this level of demand, you have long-time partners, I hope for us and for the CPG, who are offering solutions. Alibaba was the first, let's be brutally honest, which are not simplifying our life because uh, obviously it's not simple, but making it possible for consumers to recognize that the brands are making a significant effort to personalize what they're talking about to them, respecting their privacy. So to a certain extent, more and more in Europe, more and more in California, more and more in Japan with the new laws protecting consumers. But let's never underestimate the level you need to reach to be five-star. To be five-star nowadays as a brand, whoa, it's not a walk in the park. That level is changing, and that's why sometimes we beat some of our partners, but thanks God they're here, because alone, it's impossible. It's pretty interesting. Sometimes I'm asked the question, the trade-offs between privacy and personalization, and my response to that is there are no trade-offs. You know, no. it's both. It's, it's an absolute, it's absolute privacy, but don't until to your point, it's absolute personalization. Again, from my past, you could go back, 20 plus years and and the first example of data-driven marketing in my mind at scale was an email from Amazon called, we think you might like. Everybody went crazy because it was exactly tailored to me. And to your point, now we all share and which is just table stakes an absolute sense of privacy and trust, but also you you have to have a personalized relationship. Let me build on, on that theme for a second. And I want to touch on I'm going to call it data collaboration or how you're working with your natural partners. Don't tell to you first. I just happen to know your company's doing some really interesting things as it relates to data collaboration and working with your natural partners in some really innovative ways. Can you chat about maybe one or two things you're doing and Ashmita the same? Yes, sure. First of all, when you speak about data collaboration, and that's why safe events are so important, it needs to be under strict strict rule of consent. So you cannot collaborate because suddenly you have a mate and you have you feeling that they have the same bunch of consumers, you know. There is a level of yeah. preparation to this which is extremely, extremely complex. Thanks God for that. So 
it's not a shortcut to go into collaboration of data without going through the whole process of consent, where the consumers are more and more educated, and thanks God for the level of education. And this means that they, are, they have the right to be forgotten in the minute. So I'm saying that because you need your backend of technology and your hosting and where you put your data to be extremely fluid because anyone can call and say, I want to be forgotten by your company forever and you need to be able to do it. So whoever you collaborate with needs to show also these type of capabilities. But in the same time, just to go back to the level of demand of personalization, everyone in the CPG business with retailers data being more and more mature, educated, is able to collaborate with them under very strict circumstances on safe haven, as you said, but collaborate in a way which is really a win for consumers at the end because you're creating value for them. And the best value I've seen in, in the food and beverage industry with the collaboration we have with retailers and their media platform is obviously the fact that you don't want to be told what you should eat for the love of God, let's stop those brown broadcasting what you should eat. We know when we look at data of basket, what people are eating. And you know that sometimes they say they are eating very healthy, but they don't. And that's okay. You know, we need to have diversity and we need to have a very strong sense of what locally people like and how they like to cook. And that's allow us to be in our addressable audience strategy, more relevant making sense and we are not into a top-down approach of food it's a very cultural local sensible subject so by addressing and having those data collaboration we are becoming significantly more relevant and brand of love to to go back to to asmita wording because we are not in a top-down anymore period we are in a collaborative period where we are collaborating also with consumers by acknowledging what is a local reality and I find this fascinating because those data and those data collaboration under strict, strict safe haven are obviously bringing an enormous change in the way we build brand lovability. You know, mm-hmm. it's a game changer. It's a game changer in the way we communicate. I wanted to add on, I mean, on another one of our partners are our publishers, like our retailers. So that partnerships right. are also evolving and changing. And yes. there, if you would talk about data and data collaboration, the last three, four, five years, on one hand, data has allowed so much more attribution, so you can attribute things. But on the other hand, there is such little unified view of the consumer. And that bothers like everybody, especially when you're trying to scale things. So there itself, I think there is work to do with our partners and we're already doing with some of them and the ecosystem is evolving. Uh, We are onboarding more consumer data in media and publishers. There will be development there because that is also needed. This is one of the benefits of the cookie going away is I think direct connections between a brand and publishers. And then is, you know, you both alluded to TV coming into this stuff too is incredibly exciting. We have a couple of questions in the queue as we round out our our time together today. We do, Warren. And your mention of TV is a great segue to the first question we received. Both you, Domatil Nashmita, talked about traditional media spend quickly becoming addressable. And and nowhere is this more obvious today than in TV. So curious how you both are thinking about your TV strategies, given the opportunity to explore potentially CTV or OTT. 
I'm very excited about the whole uh, TV addressability and the fact that television is evolving from a company point of view. Of course, in the markets where the evolution is most active, it is there in China as well. It is there in US. UK is a very good market. So in all these markets, we kind of look at it every day to say, okay, what is available and what can be done with it? And how are we going to work with this ecosystem that is coming up? And during COVID, uh, everybody saw that uh, OTT and video on demand are one of the channels that are exploding because more and more consumers and viewers are looking for that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I would even say at last, you know, at last TV is addressable because, you know, advertising formula milk to a household of retired people was very obsolete and we couldn't, it's, it's so obsolete. We could see the benefits of it with catch up TV and we see the immense return on investment on catch up TV it was already flying high. So that could be the revival of a lot of TV program and hopefully the rating because, you know, we want diversity in this world. Obviously, programs, journalism is fed by TV in many, many aspects. So bring back a fuel there. Kudo, but it's high time. Thanks for that. I think we have time for one last question. So I'll ask this of both of you. During the conversation, each of you have talked about some of the innovative ways you're using data and technology to improve your customer experience and ultimately business results. But we all know the world never stops moving. So what's next for each of you and any advice for the industry in order to better partner with you? I can give you one example. I mean, the things keep moving and there's never the perfect example, but we are definitely very excited about what I said in the beginning. There are more conversations, there are more live, there is more live streaming, and which gives us the opportunity to have live consultations with our consumers, to talk to them directly, to tell them, okay, what is your problem? We want to solve them. That I feel is very, very interesting for us in beauty. I agree. Proximity is the next, it it seems to be like a little bit of a cliche, but, but that's not easy to nail. But all in one, that, that's probably the next, the next big bastion to clearly understand and address. And as a generality, I will work very carefully on what conversion means. Because the world has, has shown that you can work your equity and being able to convert at the same time. The fashion industry, which was like the luxury by, by definition, is now they show and sell at the same time. Items which were available six months later because you build up your equity on the quality of the way you address your conversion. And that changed totally the funnel in marketing. So marketers, careful, 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 your nice awareness, consideration, and sometimes conversion is probably obsolete already. Working equity while you convert is the name of the game, at least for mm. what I think. Terrific. Well, let me just wrap things up. Domitil, Ashmita, thank you so much for being terrific participants, sharing with us your insights. You truly are two global giants and incredible leaders for our industry. Thank you for the invitation. Likewise. If you enjoyed this conversation with Domitil and Ashmita, you'll love what we have planned for the Ramp Up Virtual Summit 2021. I'm thrilled to be in seeing the event which will be held on Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. Head to rampup.rampedup.us to learn more and register. This podcast was brought to you by LiveRamp. You can find us online at liveramp.com and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at LiveRamp. Subscribe to Saying the Quiet Part Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, or however you listen to podcasts.